0: Seated. Let's turn to Isaiah 61, verses 1-11, through 11, for our Old Testament text. Isaiah 61, verses 1-11. through 11. This is the living and abiding Word of God. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach... Good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you, Shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. And our New Testament text is In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15 will be the sermon text, but we're going to start at verse 35 of chapter 9 with our reading, uh, just to get the context there. So starting Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also... Betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go, rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons." Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. For a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray now that he would bless it to us. Gracious God, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive the word of your gospel, shine the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ into our hearts. And Lord, we pray that that light would shine uh, in us to transform us, but also shine through us to others. They would see your gospel uh, through our words and works. So Lord, be, be our teacher now. We come to sit at your feet and to listen to your voice. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So we're working through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've come to chapter 10, and it's a transition point in the Gospel. At this point, we've heard Jesus, for uh, several chapters, preach the Gospel, announce the Kingdom has come in the Sermon on the Mount, and then we've seen since, since the end of chapter 7 there, through chapter 8, through chapter 9, all these miracles where time after time we are left astounded by the authority of Jesus to do whatever He pleases, which is to heal, to help, and to save. Right? We see His power, we see His authority there in those miracles, and we also see the tender compassion of Jesus in those miracles, and the account all closes there at the end of chapter 9 with an explicit reference to the, 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 the heart of Jesus Christ being full of compassion for those around him. And all this marks him out as the king, doesn't it? Right, this is Israel's long promised king, this is their Messiah, our Messiah, come to bring salvation. That's the essence of what Matthew's been telling us since since the beginning of his gospel, but we've especially been focusing on here since chapter 5 through chapter 9. He's been saying, the king is here. Jesus Christ, the king, is here, and his kingdom is here. But then we move into chapter 10, the end of chapter 9, into chapter 10. And the question here is, well, what are we supposed to do now that his kingdom's here? What are disciples supposed to do now that the kingdom is here? Now that we've seen the king, we've seen that he's here, he's bringing his kingdom. What are we supposed to do? Jesus tells us at the end of chapter 9. He says, well, it's time now to go on mission for this kingdom. Right? You, you, you follow me as my disciples. You've, you've heard my words. You've seen my miracles, my, my power, my authority, my compassion, and my grace. Uh, you've seen that I'm the king, and now you need to, now you need to join in with me. In proclaiming this kingdom and serving this kingdom, he starts at the end of chapter 9 by saying, You need to be praying for this kingdom to come. Uh, The harvest is full, right? This isn't, uh, Jesus doesn't look out and see a scraggly, sparse harvest. He sees a full harvest, the end time harvest, but he doesn't see workers. So he says, Pray. Pray the Lord would send out workers. He's commanding them, he's commanding us to pray. And pray and pray that the Lord would send out workers into this harvest to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. But then we go on to chapter 10. We saw that last time, but now we, we go on to chapter 10. And we see that not only uh, does, does Jesus command the disciples to pray, but then he himself actually sends, sends them out. Um, And chapter 10 is really the the answer of the prayer request at the end of chapter 9. He says, pray the Lord would send out workers into his harvest. And in chapter 10, the Lord is sending out workers into his harvest. Twelve of them, the twelve disciples of Jesus. And he says they are to go preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so chapter 10, the second major discourse set of teaching in Matthew's gospel is all about Jesus' instructions to his disciples for this mission that he's sending them on, the, this mission of preaching his kingdom. And there are instructions for the disciples. There are also instructions for us, too. Uh, he's calling us to do the same thing, isn't he? We, he's calling us to be his disciples, and he's calling us to be on mission for his kingdom, proclaiming his kingdom to the lost. And... Uh, and uh, <laughs> Uh, and making that the ambition and agenda, uh, an agenda of our lives, because that is His mission. We see three three things as we work through the text here in chapter uh, chapter ten, verses one through fifteen. Three things, uh, three headings as we work through the text. The first thing we see are the messengers that Jesus sends out. The messengers. Uh, Jesus is talking very specifically to his 12 disciples here. We need to stop and take note of that. Sometimes when we come to Scripture, um, we can miss that there's a specific audience in mind and that we're not that audience. Um, And that can can get you into trouble. So, for instance, Joshua. You're reading along in, in the book of Joshua, and you read that Joshua commands his military captains to put their feet on the necks of their defeated enemies in Joshua 10. He says, put your feet on the necks of your defeated enemies. What we realize, right? That's not a command to us. Joshua is talking to a specific time, specific place, specific audience. That's not a command we're going to be tempted to take uh, as one to us. Or a command like Jesus commanded the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, uh, where he says, go sell everything you own, give all the proceeds to the poor. We understand there's a principle at work there for us. It's an application for us, but not necessarily uh, to, to go and sell everything we have and give it to the poor. That was Jesus' word to that man, not necessarily the specific thing he wants us to do. And the same thing is true, then, when we come to chapter 10 here and hear Jesus' words to his 12 disciples. Jesus isn't talking, first of all, to all his disciples for all time. He's specifically directing his words to the 12 here. And there's, some, there's a particular context that they're in at this point in history. Um, there's some unique things. The first uh, that's unique to the context here is, is this. Jesus twelve tells the 12 disciples uh, to go work miracles. Verse 1, he tells us that he gives them authority over unclean spirits, authority over sickness and all kinds of disease. And then he commands them in verse 8 to raise the dead and heal the sick. That's not a command he's giving us, right? He's giving them a unique authority to go out with, with this unique power to do these miracles for his uh, to announce his kingdom. So this is unique to them, unique to that place and that time. Uh, notably, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel doesn't say go and 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 do all this healing work, right? Uh, it says go and preach, go make disciples go baptize. But here, there's something different going on. Jesus is giving them the same authority he has to go out and perform these miracles. The second thing that's unique here is tied to the first. And it has to do with what Jesus is doing here. Why does Jesus only send out 12? Why these 12? Why is he giving them this special authority? Why is he giving them the ability to go heal the sick and raise the dead? Well, Think in particular of um, the number of the disciples. There's 12 of them we were given all, all, all their names. That number is significant, right? Think, what, when else in Israel's history do we read of 12-somethings? but 12 sons of Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel. And so Jesus here is, is doing something important. He's, he's, uh, he, is, he, is, he, is, he is establishing a new Israel. He's reconstituting Israel. Think about those 12 tribes. What happened to them? Um, they, they, they come through the Exodus, they're, they're brought into the land, each tribe's given its own inheritance in the promised land that's to be theirs forever. But then the kingdom splits apart, ten to the north, two to the south. And then that northern kingdom, those ten tribes, are taken away into exile, never to return. But there's these promises in Scripture that they're going to be brought back, and that the, the tribes are going to be reunited again. Ezekiel thirty-seven twenty-two, the Lord promises there that He will reunite the tribes. He says, "I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be over them all, and they shall no longer be two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms." Promise that God's people are going to be restored and reconstituted, and so that's what Jesus is doing here, isn't it? He's he's finally he's he's bringing the people of Israel out of exile. He's saying, here are 12 disciples to be the foundation of a remade Israel, a renewed Israel. We see this also in Revelation 21, as the vision of the new heavens and new earth, the the new Jerusalem comes down. There are the 12 tribes of the 12 sons of Jacob are the gates and the 12 disciples are the foundations of that city. So that's unique, right? Jesus gives them unique authority. They have a unique position. He's reconstituting Israel. He's showing showing us that. So there's something special about the disciples and about Jesus' commands to them. We can't just carry them directly over to ourselves. Does this mean there's nothing for us here then? That Jesus' words, there was instructions to them, we're reading someone else's email, and we shouldn't, uh, shouldn't try to take a life application away. Well, no, of course not. It's not how the Bible works. It's all written for our instruction, isn't it? Um, and so what Jesus is doing here is, yes, giving them specific instructions, but uh, these are instructions that have principles that apply to us as well in our mission uh, for the sake of his kingdom. And he's commanding us just as much as he's commanding them, brothers and sisters, to be proclaiming his kingdom. So let's, let's look closely at this. Two principles about the messengers of the kingdom of heaven that apply to us. The first is this. Jesus gives His messengers His own mission. Jesus gives His messengers His own mission. He's telling them to do the very same thing He's doing in the very same way He's doing it, isn't He? Um, he He is telling His disciples, these 12 here, that the business of their lives is to be the same as the business of His. That as much as Jesus Himself is all about the kingdom of heaven, preaching it and, and living it out and, and, and spreading the gospel. So much are His disciples to live for the kingdom of heaven. That, that everything about their lives was supposed to center on the kingdom as it did for Jesus Christ. And, and Christ expects the same of, of all His disciples. That our lives center on Him and center on His kingdom. We're not all called to be uh, uh, pastors and, and missionaries, but we are all called to be ambassadors of his kingdom. Every disciple of Christ is to represent him, and we are to have the same zeal for his kingdom that he has. Right? Matthew's gospel ends with the same idea Go, make disciples of all nations. So if you are a Christian, this is what your life should be about it should be about Christ the King. And his kingdom, right? Not that Christianity is a separate compartment of your life. But it, is, it is your life, and that everything else, your family, your hobbies, your job, your friends and all of it is under that and, 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 and incorporated into that. Christ and his kingdom is to be the main thing. The second thing we the second principle here. We saw Jesus gives his messengers his own mission. The second thing we see is this. Jesus' messengers are characterized by weakness and qualified by grace. Jesus' messengers are characterized by weakness and qualified by grace. Look at the names of the twelve disciples. Not one of them is a trained scribe or a Pharisee, an expert in the scriptures. Uh, None of them is is, is rich or powerful or or influential. Uh, They didn't graduate from Ivy League schools as the class valedictorian, right? They, they, didn't, they, didn't, uh, they didn't make the first round draft pick. They were average guys. Maybe even some of them below average guys. Common, uneducated men, as they're called. Um, some of them have problematic personalities. Extreme character weaknesses that we see. We see them being impetuous. We see them being ambitious and selfish and arguing about who gets to go first and be first. In the kingdom, we see them doubting. We see them confused. We see them not getting what seems like it should be such an obvious lesson. Um, Twelve ordinary men, twelve flawed men who eventually abandon Jesus altogether as He's uh, suffering for them, crucified for them. This is God's way, though. He uses weak Men and weak women and weak children. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. See, God chooses the weak to accomplish His purposes. As the saying goes, God can hit a straight shot with a crooked stick, right? So that he gets the glory for it. These men are characterized by weakness. And then these men are qualified by grace. They didn't choose Jesus. He chose them. He called them. Uh, There wasn't a long line of applicants, and Jesus chose the best, most qualified ones. He's choosing weak sinners by his grace, calling them to himself by his grace, qualifying them himself, and by his grace, sending them out to be his messengers. So, loved ones, our weakness and our insufficiency do not disqualify us from representing Christ. Um, If you're naturally shy, it doesn't disqualify you from boldly sharing the gospel. If you're naturally loud, It doesn't disqualify you from graciously and humbly and gently sharing Christ with others. None of us can ever say, Well, I'm not not strong enough or smart enough or or influential enough to share the gospel. Jesus' messengers are characterized by weakness. We're We're all insufficient. This is the way Christ works. These are those he chooses, so that he gets the glory for himself. So what do we do? Well, we take that weakness to him, Lord. I don't like talking to strangers. Help me. Be my strength. I'm weak. You are strong. Lord, be sufficient for me. He is the one who has the grace and the wisdom uh, and, and the strength and the courage who can equip us with all the things we need to be faithful to His command to go share the gospel. So, we are called to be messengers for His kingdom What's the message? What's, what's the mission? That's our second heading, the mission here. Um, Jesus uh, uh, calls the messengers and sends them out, but then he gives them the mission. He gives them very specific instructions. He says in verse 5, uh, they're not to go to the Gentiles. They're not to go to Samaria. Um, he's not saying the gospel is only for Jews, obviously, because so much of Scripture is all about the gospel going out to the whole world. Matthew's Gospel has already shown us this, right? It starts out with the Magi coming from the east. Wise men coming, coming from the east, from far away, to come to Israel's Messiah and bow down and worship. And then Matthew's Gospel ends with the Great Commission. Go. Go to Samaria. And then go out to the whole world with this Gospel. But right now, Jesus says, start here with Israel. Start with the Jews. Start with the lost sheep of the house of of Israel, as he says in verse 6. He, it's interesting here, isn't it? He calls the house of Israel uh, lost. He says, he says, The people of Israel are, are lost sheep. They're, they're still in spiritual exile. They haven't really ever come back from that. They still are leaderless, right? We just saw that at the end of chapter 9, if you remember. Jesus looks and he says, They're like lost, scattered sheep, defenseless, leaderless. Uh, um, they don't recognize the king has come. They don't recognize uh, that, that salvation is here. So Jesus is saying, go to these poor, suffering, lost sheep of Israel. And he gives them a mission that has two parts. The first is to preach. He says in verse 7, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is the first thing the disciples are to do. There's announce that the kingdom has come to preach that the gospel of the kingdom is come and call people to repent and believe in the gospel. And then the second part of their mission is in verse 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. So he gives them authority to heal as well as to preach. That's their mission, to announce Jesus, to announce his kingdom. How do we take this to ourselves? What's the mission he's, he's, he's calling us to here? Um, he's, he's calling us to the same mission in the sense of proclaiming his kingdom, isn't he? Right. He's given us the same commission, not necessarily the, the part about healing the sick and raising the dead that was unique to that context, as we saw. But he has called us to proclaim the kingdom and his gospel. Brothers and sisters, we uh, should note here that, that he's called us to this and he's, he, he's called us also to preach the gospel to the lost even as he called them to preach to the lost sheep of Israel, right? We don't think, though, that we are to be restricted to, the, to just ethnic Jews as we proclaim the gospel, though, of course, we should include them. But, but to seek out the lost, to seek out those who don't know Christ, who don't know his kingdom, and to, and to reach out to them and proclaim the gospel to them. Um, we should be a church where we are praying and working hard and, and earnestly and urgently for the glory of God to, to, to spread the Gospel to those who are lost. We should be thinking about how can we do this better? What, what, how, how, can we, uh, how can we find more opportunities to share the Gospel? How can we reach the least and the lowest and invite them to come in to the gracious kingdom of Jesus Christ? Remember, um, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus says it is, right? And that hasn't stopped being the case. The harvest is not meager. God's intent is to have a world full of worshipers. This has been His plan since the beginning. Right? When He creates Adam and Eve in His image, He commands them to be fruitful and multiply. He wants them to fill the earth with His, with his image. With worshipers who reflect His glory. He makes a promise to Abraham through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Uh, he makes this, uh, this same point in the Psalms. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Uh, he makes this same point in Isaiah. He says, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And all of this comes true in Jesus Christ. It all happens in him. The gospel is going out to the whole world. The harvest is ready. And we're called, we're called to take up our, our, our part of the mission and go uh, and proclaim his gospel. What does this mean? Let's get specific. What does this mean? Well, first, it means that every one of you is called to share the gospel, to tell others about the gospel. No Christian gets a pass on this. Um, We're all called to do this. We have non-Christian neighbors, co-workers, family, friends. We need to be speaking to them about Jesus. Telling them about his grace and his goodness, what he's done for us on the cross, in his resurrection, telling them about the hope of eternal life. We should pray for opportunities for this, and we should pray for grace to take those opportunities when they come. We are all called to this. Second, it means that some are specifically called to preaching ministry and evangelistic ministry, and we should be supporting them in that And if we think God might be calling us to that, we should give careful thought to that as well. And we should be looking for for people in our church who we might say, yeah, he he might have gifts for that. How How can I encourage him in that or support him in that? And third, we're also to give. Notice here in Jesus' instructions to his disciples, he tells them, don't take your wallets with you. Don't take your silver and your gold with you. You're you're going to rely on God's provision, and you're going to rely on those who are receiving the gospel to provide your needs. And and the the principle for us here, I think, brothers and sisters, is that not only are some called to go, but we're all called to give to support those who go, those who preach, and and, and, and are are making this their their, their full-time livelihood to to proclaim the gospel. Because no one could go if, if no one gave. So this is also a calling on on every one of us to be giving to support the work of the kingdom. This is our mission. Pray and preach, give and go, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is instructing his disciples here in these things. He's calling us, he's commanding us to these same things. But even as he does so, there's a word of warning in this. there's a warning embedded in it, and then it comes out strongly as well at the end. That 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 you need to be careful. That even as you go preach the gospel, you yourself are are trusting in the gospel, um, and that it's uh, that 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 we ourselves aren't aren't missing the gospel even as we seek to live out the gospel. And this brings us to our final heading: the mirror. The mirror. We're to look in the mirror of God's word here and take a good look at ourselves and make sure that we are truly in the kingdom of heaven. This warning, as I said, it it shows up first with the mention of the twelve disciples, with the mention of Judas Iscariot, the last of the disciples named. Verse 4 reminds us, this is the guy who's going to go on to sell Jesus into the hands of the Jewish authorities. He's going to betray Jesus. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Judas goes out on this mission with the other twelve. He goes, and like all the others, he's healing. He's cleansing lepers, casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. And he's, he's saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Believe in the gospel. I don't think there was a doubt in any of the other disciples' minds that he was one of them, truly and sincerely following Jesus Christ. He tastes something, doesn't he, of the glories of the kingdom of heaven. But eventually he's going to throw it all away. And it's going to show he was never part of God's kingdom at all. That he had his own ideas about Jesus' kingdom. His own agenda for this kingdom. And once he realized that Jesus' agenda for the kingdom didn't line up with his, he was done with it. His heart never truly repented because all along it was never really about Jesus, but about, about Judas. The warning continues, um, not only do we see that note of warning sounded in Judas, but in verses 11 to 12, Jesus tells the disciples about whom they should focus on in their ministry, in their mission. He tells them, seek out those who are worthy. Now, he already said, go seek out the lost sheep of Israel. So he doesn't mean go to those who are um, you know, proving themselves to be worthy of this message. He means go to those who will listen. Go to the poor in spirit who are ready to humbly hear the word of the kingdom and repent and turn from their sins. Don't don't keep on going to those who are just going to throw it back in your face. Don't cast your pearls before swine. If they listen to you, bless them. If they don't shake off the dust of your feet when you leave that house or that city, he says. It's a shocking thing for him to say when you leave an Israelite town, shake off the dust from your clothes and, and, and brush it off your feet. Because that's what you did when you left a Gentile town. That's what the Jews would do if, if they left a Samaritan or Gentile town or, or house, right? Um, uh, this, this is, this is, right? These aren't the people of God, so I'm going I'm to brush the uncleanness off me after I leave. And Jesus is saying, you go into an Israelite town or an Israelite house, and they reject me. They've rejected their place in the covenant, and they're, they're like Gentiles. They're outside of the promise and the covenant and the gospel. They're not part of the kingdom. Jesus is showing us here that um, what really matters is to, is to trust in Jesus Christ and belong to him. That it's not your family history, uh, but, your, but your relationship to Christ that makes you part of his kingdom. So what's the warning here? Let me, let me draw it out as, as pointedly as I can. Three three, warning, three warnings we see um, as Jesus uh, speaks about these things. First is this. You can think you're doing great things for Christ when you've never actually received His grace or offered Him any real obedience. Judas, right? He might have raised the dead in Jesus' name, but he never really believed the gospel. And we can do great works of apparent faith and obedience and sacrifice much and have a reputation even for being a a spiritual, serious, committed Christian and yet never have tasted the sweetness of the gospel and really know what it meant to have your sins forgiven and have your faith in Jesus Christ. It's just something you do, perhaps by habit, perhaps by upbringing or, or the burst of enthusiasm, but it was just an emotional thing and it doesn't last perhaps to please those around you. But but trusting in Christ alone? No, that's not that's not part of it. You, you can be a person like that. Second warning here, like Judas, you can think your life is all about Jesus and His kingdom when it's really all about your life and your own kingdom. Or you can think, that oh, the Gospel's great. The kingdom of Jesus is great as long as it's doing what I want it to do. You know? Uh, as long as uh, it's... Um, giving me a better marriage or better kids or helping the political situation right? That, that the kingdom of heaven is wonderful as long as it's advancing my agenda rather than being about Christ and his agenda and then the third thing here you can think you're part of the covenant people of God but if you're basing that on outward things not your relationship with Jesus then you aren't part of the covenant of God um your faith is not about Jesus. It's about outward things. Baptism, perhaps, or, or church membership, or, or the family you grew up in. But not that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. Jesus says in verse 15, as he draws this to a close, this section, he says in verse 15, that the most severe judgment, the most severe judgment is going to fall on those who are like this, the Judases, those who are Israelites outwardly, but not inwardly; those who are part of the visible church, but not part of the invisible church; But have got the outward privileges, but none of the inward reality of the gospel. Right? He he says it will be worse than it was for than than, than for Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, it'll be worse for those who've lived a decent life outwardly, but never inwardly repented and trusted in Christ, than for those who live lives of great outward sin. He's giving a warning to, his, to, to Israel. Um, he's giving a warning to his disciples, I think, as well. And I think he's giving a warning to us um, that we must, right? We're, we're to be a church on mission for the gospel, but take care lest we ourselves miss the gospel. We've got to hold fast to Christ uh, and, and make sure that we ourselves are truly trusting in him alone for salvation. And if we have, right, loved ones, this is what will motivate our, 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 our mission. Um, if we have seen Christ, if we've seen His power and His authority and His compassion and His grace, even as Matthew's presented it to us all through chapters 8 and 9, if we've seen the, the wonderful Savior that He is and we've been transformed by Him, won't we go gladly and willingly on mission for His kingdom? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, we pray that all of us would make our calling and election sure. And Lord, that you would uh, work in us true assurance. And Lord, we pray that you would then make us to uh, uh, to be willing, to be faithful to your command to go and proclaim the gospel of your kingdom to the world. We pray that you would work in us what you desire for us. For the sake of your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.